Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor, along with Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Coming up on the podcast, we'll hear from former Red Wings Assistant GM Doug McLean. He's written a book called Draft Day, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind. But first, Ted, the Red Wings season opener is Thursday in New Jersey, and then back here Saturday for the home opener against Tampa Bay on the last podcast you said you got a sense there's a lot of curiosity and hope with this rebuilt team 10 new players they went five two and one in the preseason second in the Atlantic behind Ottawa at six two and oh but ultimately you said the wings they'll probably just miss the playoffs for a team record eighth consecutive season but let me rephrase the question though what Ted has to go right. What are a few things, say the goaltending, the power play, what would change your mind about this team coached by Derek Lalonde in his second season to finish ahead of Boston, Florida, Tampa Bay, Toronto, or a wild card team? Seems simplistic, but they do need to score more goals, obviously. I mean, this has not been a very dynamic team offensively the last several years, but I think there's might there might be potential for that mm-hmm. this year. That'll, that's one thing. They need to get, obviously, steady goaltending. And, you know, Husos showed that the first half of last season, but not as much later on. And then, obviously, the backup goaltenders. I think they're they're obviously more confident with James Reimer and Alex Lyon in the fold now that maybe mm-hmm. they've got that part of it settled down. It's, it's going to be fascinating. It really is, Mark. I mean, that division, again... On the on the surface, it does look very strong. I mean, the top four teams are still very formidable. Although you know, several I think we can make case all four of them. It they've had some really bad defections. I mean, people either retired or left in free agency. I don't still think any of those four teams that made the playoffs last year from the division are quite as strong as they were last season, mm-hmm. but. This Wings team, I mean, it's not getting a lot of respect around the league. I mean, that's for sure. I, don't think, I haven't seen anybody pick them to make the playoffs. I still don't think they will make the playoffs, but I do think there's a, a, sl- a glimmer of a <laughs> chance there. I really do. I mm-hmm. think if a lot of things go right, and that's, a, that's you know, might be too many things that have to go right. I think there's some semblance of a playoff look team looking roster there, but we shall see. Ted, let's hear now from coach Lalonde on Monday. He ended speculation on who the 13th forward will be against the devils on Thursday. He said he's going with one less forward, 12 forwards, one more defenseman, seven defensemen and three goalies for a total of 22 players. Of course, the seven, 11, 13. Also, so, um, 
That's what we are right now, post camp, uh, 12, 7, 3. Not right now. Don't need it. Don't need it right now. Obviously, knowing that 13th could be an easy call up anywhere. And with the seven NHL caliber D, we get that odd uh, morning sickness, afternoon, something happens with warm ups. Uh, we have no problem with someone. So, Ted, it sounds like Lalonde would rather have Justin Hall as a seventh defenseman than, say, Jonathan Bergeron or Zach Aston Reese. So the lines look like this for tomorrow. Larkin, Debrinkit, Perron, Comfer, Fabry, Raymond, likely the smallest top six of any team, by the way. Kopp, Rasmussen, Sprong, Valeno, Costin, Fisher on defense, Sider, Wallman, Sherratt, Petrie, Mata, Gostas, Bear, and Hall, the extra defenseman in goal. You mentioned Huso, Reimer, and Lyons. So what do you think, Ted? They're certainly deeper, and they have better two-way players, and they may be able to score by committee like Seattle last right. year. But realistically, who's going to score goals? They were 24th in the league last year, and every team behind them in scoring didn't make the playoffs either. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, Mark. I mean, they're hoping that Alex DeBrincat becomes that, what, 35-40 goal mm-hmm. scorer again. Maybe Daniel Sprong can duplicator better the 20 or so goals he scored in seattle you got jt comfer i mean i think a wild card now that it's robbie fabry i mean they haven't had robbie fabry much at all the last couple seasons so if he stays healthy he can produce some offense but no that's the thing mark i mean how many game breakers do they truly have mm-hmm. i mean that's that's another factor uh it's I, there is, I think, like we've said here several times, I do believe they're deeper. But ultimately, did they just switch over some interchangeable parts? I don't know. Maybe they did. We'll see. Uh, it's a tough division. It's a tougher conference per se. I mean, just over in over as tough as the Atlantic division is. I think. I don't think. I don't think anybody would be too surprised if the two wild cards come out of the other division, actually, in the Metro division. So. They're up against it. There's so many good teams ahead of them. Uh, a lot would have to go right for them to make the playoffs. A lot of things would have to go wrong for other teams and sure. right for them. And that's all. And that's that's a parable that doesn't always happen very often. Coming up next on the podcast, it's time for our interview segment. And our special guest today is Doug McLean, a former NHL coach, GM, broadcaster, and now author of a book about the NHL draft. Joining us now is former Red Wings assistant coach, former Red Wings assistant GM, Doug McLean, who has written a book called Draft Day, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind. Welcome to the podcast, Doug. So many references to the Red Wings in your book. And let's start with chapter six one of your favorite chapters you said before and the offer the red wings made to acquire eric lindros you talked to quebec gm pierre paget and he kept notes of all 14 offers from 14 different teams It was 1992 at the nhl draft detroit's first offer included steve eisenman 15 million dollars gerard gallant martin lapointe mike sillinger and eve racine but Paget wanted Sergei Fedorov, not Eiserman. So what stands out to you, Doug, about that proposed trade, which could have changed the course of history of the Red Wings for good or bad? Well, you know what? First of all, uh, 
we really wanted to do something on the Lindros deal because it was such a big draft day type of, of event. And mm -hmm. a lot has been written about it, but not real detail. So I phoned Pierre, who's always been a great friend of mine. I phoned him and he lives in Austria. And I said, look, I really would like to do a Lindros chapter. He said, Doug, I have got notes, every <laughs> note of every conversation I had with all 14 teams. And I've never told it before. And I'd love to give it to you. So we're on the phone, Scott and I, with him for hours. And I was in Detroit. I was assistant GM when that deal was made. And I remembered I would have been over in over in in uh, Europe watching, you know, watching our drafts. Mm -hmm. And I saw Forsberg play over there. And I thought, oh, I mean, Fedorov, Forsberg, that was sort of conversation we were having in those days. And I thought, Fedorov's so damn good. And I said, I just don't think we can trade him. I just don't think we can we can trade Federer. Brian was the one that ultimately made the decision okay. um, that we weren't trading Federer. And Stevie Y, look, he was so darn good. And But if you wanted Lindros, Lindros, is, as he said, he was the six, he was a six foot five Gordie Howe is what Lindros was. And uh, obviously I coached against him in Florida. He was that good. But look, it... it I, I hate it when I saw it because I thought, oh, here we go. It's a knock on Stevie Y. <laughs> but it really wasn't. It was just that Fedorov really looked pretty spectacular in those early couple of years in Detroit. But, you know, it's kind of I, – I didn't really like to see it come out saying that, you know, they'd rather have Fedorov than Stevie. But mm. that's just exactly what Pierre told us. Doug, you just mentioned the knocks on Steve Eisenman. There were three proposed trades in 1991, Pat LaFontaine, we just mentioned Eric Lindros in 1992 and Alexi Yashin in 1995. The other day on NHL Morning Skate, you told a couple of Eisenman stories that didn't make the book. <laughs> one time, <laughs> one time, two weeks after Scotty Bowman joined the team, he asked you, if you ever talked to owner Mike Illich, and you said now and again, he said, well, the Tigers needed to get a new pitcher and they should trade Eisenman and use the money. A right-handed pitcher. Right a right-handed pitcher to buy a, a pitcher. And you also said that Bowman would come down to you and Brian Murray quite often with a list of five players he wanted traded, and Eiserman's name was always at the top of the list. So why, Doug, the love-hate relationship with Eiserman? Because that was Scotty. And, and Scotty and I... I had one other story. A buddy of mine came in to play against us. I was assistant GM. Brian was GM, and we had been pushed. We had been pushed out when Scotty came in. And he, this, he said to this guy, "Who's this McLean guy anyway?" He <laughs> Scotty said, said to my buddy who was in playing against us. So anyway, you know what it was. I'll tell you exactly what it was. It sure. was Scotty. Like it wasn't tight between Scotty and Stevie Y, and it, as it wasn't with Koff and all the guys, he would okay. he he came in and he was gonna demand whatever, and I think it was all a game for him just to to push Stevie Y to another level, which he did, which he did. Mm -hmm. Stevie with us was great; he played great, but he hadn't had playoff success. It wasn't just, and it had nothing to do, and I, as I said in the book, it wasn't Stevie, why not giving it everything he had? It, he needed a better supporting cast. Sure. So I think it was all about Scotty just pushing guys. And he did it with Dino Cicerelli. He did it with Koff, all coffee. He did it with all of them. And I think it was just his way of saying, I'm the boss here, and I'm going to push these guys to the nth degree. And, hey, 
Scotty, Scotty won. And Scotty and I have become pretty good friends since, you know, like that year, what he didn't even know who the hell I was, but <laughs> since then we, you know, I, when I was doing hockey central noon, I'd get texts from Scotty. I've called him about some players a few times over my career. I, I happen to like him and we've got a good relationship, much like Jimmy D. I, I've talked to Jimmy D. He couldn't, he sent me a note. He couldn't come to the book launch in Toronto. So he phoned me last week. Jimmy D and I talked for two <laughs> straight hours on the phone about hockey. So I think it was the way of pushing Stevie. And he, Stevie Y was a tough guy. Oh, as, as you saw a couple of the funny stories in there about Stevie Y. He was a tough guy, but I, I really liked Stevie Y. And he, and he proved how great he was. Mm-hmm. Doug, you had a few other Eiserman stories in the book. One time he said to you, I'm a pretty good player, eh, Doug? And you said, you're a great player, a star. He said, Polano Park, Neil Demers, Belial, and you and Brian Murray. Imagine how good I could have been if I had just one good coach. And another another time he showed a video. You showed a video clip between periods and you singled him out for a mistake on the power play, on the penalty killing, rather. And you said number 19 was out of position on the play. The next thing you know, you said he followed you into the coach's office and he said, don't ever, ever call me out in front of the team again. But he said he was joking and laughed and you left off the incident. And you said that showed how intense and proud he was. Now, Doug, he took the blame for a lot of years, 13 years of falling short. You talked about the playoffs in three game sevens against the Blues, Maple Leafs and Sharks from 91 to 94. Eisenman was a combined minus six. You're not surprised, though, are you, that he took a more assertive role in how they played under Scotty Bowman and his opinions on certain teammates? I, You know what? I would say I was there those three knockouts, you know, to Toronto and and uh, San Jose and St. Louis. You know, mm-hmm. I was there, and it was it was devastating to us to lose those series. And we, after the San Jose series, we could fight. You know what? I remember talking to Stevie a lot during those series, a lot and it it was it, it came back to what i said later in the book it was nothing in my opinion it was more we needed better goaltending mm-hmm. we needed a better supporting cast and you know what after brian and i left that's what they did they traded steve chase on you know to up great uh, upgrade their goaltending they signed the russians larry Onoff. they 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 added to the cast for stevie that's that's what it was we weren't probably good enough we were a good team we were on the rise we had great Mm -hmm. young talent brian murray did a great job building that franchise for you know in a lot of areas um he brought along a young lidstrom you know a young draper a young timmy taylor a young lapointe a young mccarty all those guys we brought along but they needed additional support to win. And that's what they brought in. And Scotty and Jimmy D and Kenny did that. And they deserve credit for that is as you know, which I really pointed out in the book, but Stevie liked to give shots and that's all he was doing when he, when we were shaving, (laughs) he gave me the shot, but I'll tell you what, when he came in the, in the coach's room to to confront me on that, my armpits were so soaked because I was friggin' scared to death. (laughs) And when he laughed it off, I was so damn relieved because he, hey, Stevie was the man, you know. <laughs> Doug, in hindsight, and hindsight is twenty twenty. Should you and Brian Murray have helped out Eisenman earlier in his career by trading a few prospects or draft picks to pick up veteran players like McTavish, Glenn Anderson, Mateau, Noonan? 
Those four Rangers won the cup in 1994. In hindsight, is 2020. Their coach, Mike Keenan, was one of the finalists for Scotty Bowman's eventual job. And their GM, the New York GM, Neil Smith, of course, helped build the Red Wings. But he traded Todd Marchand, a top prospect for McTavish, Mike Gartner for Anderson, and Tony Amante for Matto and Noonan. Were those players or those kind of players, Doug, ever on the table? And when does the draft and develop strategy okay to a point and then you have to make a bold move. You know, and I, I don't, we, we didn't think, you know, I think if you look back, we, we had a ton of kids in McCarty, LaPointe, uh, Draper was a kid then, uh, Lidstrom was a kid, Fedorov was a kid. Th- those, those guys stayed through all the Stanley Cup runs. Mm-hmm. And those were the guys that people wanted. And no, Brian should not have traded those guys. Okay. Because those guys are the guys that everybody wanted when we were there. And Brian refused to trade them. And it probably helped, you know, maybe the reason we got fired. But there's no way those kids should have been traded. And they ended up being major players in the Stanley Cup, in the Stanley Cup final. Doug, behind all the success of the Red Wings were the Illiches, Mike and Marion Illich. You said it was intimidating going up to Mike's office on the 10th floor <laughs> of the office at the Fox Theater. You would tell him about a potential trade, and he would say, you better be right. And you tell the story in the book about Marion Illich, who handled the budgets back then. One day she said to you, can you tell me why Paul Coffey used 22 pair of skates this season? So you've, you've dealt with a lot of owners over the years. Why have they been so successful? You know what? It, he he. It, the, the story when we went to the Fox, he didn't tell me that. He told the group that, which was okay. Jimmy D, <laughs> which was Jimmy D, Brian Murray, and myself. That's who was sitting in front of him. And we we're trading Jim, Jimmy Carson, who was his favorite guy, one of his all-time favorite guys, because he grew up in Detroit minor hockey. And he said, you guys better be right on this trade. And I was all, I was nervous being up there. I didn't deal with the Illages like Brian did and like Jimmy D did. I mean, I was around and I was in, in some of the meetings, but I mean, I was pretty, I, I was as quiet as a church mouse in those meetings <laughs> in those days. And uh, you know what, Mr. Illich, Mrs. Illich did phone about the skates and it was pretty funny, but she was on top of things like you wouldn't believe. And Paul Covey was the greatest skater maybe in the history of the NHL. And that's how he wanted to skate. And I, you know, okay, okay, 22 pairs. But let me tell you, I got fired by the Red Wings. And I think this says everything you have to know about Mike Elliott. I got fired by the Red Wings on a Friday. Brian got, went over to the Fox and he got fired. He came back and he stuck his head in my arm. He said, I just got fired and so did you. <laughs> and uh, we sort of knew it was coming. But I get a call. That was Friday. Monday morning, as I put in the book, Mike Elliott phones me at my house. And he said, I pick up the phone 8 o'clock in the morning. He said, yeah, you got fired on Friday. And I said, yeah, Mr. Illich, I did. And he said, well, let me tell you, you got uh, what do you got? What's your contract? I said, I have another year in my contract. He said, okay, if you don't have a job in a year's time, I'm going to hire you back. And I thought to myself, seriously, wow. what? I said, Mr. I, I said, I'll have a, I'll have a job. I'll have a job. And, but I, as I said in the book, what's that tell you about Mr. Illich and why the Red Wings have been so successful? He, he was he was an amazing guy and I, I I used to talk to him the odd time but I just I mm-hmm. the respect I had for him and obviously the Red Wings was was a lot and I at the time when I got fired I was a little bitter and things like that but you know what 
you, I look at what's gone on since we left and how instrumental our guys were in the whole process. It, it's, it's, it was pretty cool. And that's what I tried to portray in the book that the Red Wings did. Kenny and Jimmy D and Scotty, they all did a great job, a great job after we left. Doug, chapter four is devoted primarily to the Red Wings, and the chapter is called Building a Winner Through the Draft with Homegrown Players. The Red Wings, of course, had that historic 1989 draft with Lidstrom, Fedorov, Konstantinov, Dallas Drake. They won nine cups, as you mentioned in the book, between them. But tell us more about Bob Strum's theory. He was here in Detroit as an assistant GM in 1990. He spent seven years with the Regina Pats, 10 years with you, in Columbus, his benchmark of success was 10 drafted players. You needed 10 drafted players to win the cup. And from 1995 to 2022, half the rosters were filled with homegrown players. You do note in the book, one year, the wings had eight players in 2002, that hall of fame team. But you argue in the book that Detroit also had Manny legacy, Jason Williams and Maxime Kuznetsov, and they contributed yeah. in the regular season. So yeah. Bob was on to something there, right, Doug? I, I thought it was amazing. And I, you know, we talked at, at, at that time and he had put together, you know, this, this history going back, actually he went back to 1990, mm -hmm. you know, when the devils were winning. And, and so when I went to Columbus, I, he, he gave me this stuff and we had worked together talking about it a lot, but it was really Strummer that, that did it. And I used it in my presentation in Columbus that, Hey, you know, oh. The mm -hmm. way it is, you, you've got to have 10 Stanley Cup, 10 draft picks. His, history has shown that. Like the St. Louis Blues won the Cup a few years ago. First time in franchise history they had 10 draft picks on their team when they won. So history has really shown it's that critical. And and I thought it was a great way to tie into draft day, Strummer's information there. And we sort mm -hmm. of... We, you know, I, I was, I told him we were doing that. I was doing that chapter on the 10 draft pick rule. That's what I originally called the chapter, the, the 10 draft pick rule. But then we changed it to building a winner because it sort of really coincided with that. So I, I just, uh, and I'll never forget in Columbus one night, we are playing year five maybe, and we were playing in Arizona. And I sent out a note to all my scouts. Mm -hmm. We had 10 draft picks dressed for a game in Arizona in year five in Columbus. And I said, you know what, maybe we're ready Good. to turn the corner here, but then, then that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> also in chapter four, Doug is Chris Draper's story. He's now the head of amateur scouting here with the wings, but you're the one who brought Draper to Detroit in that famous trade for $1 with Winnipeg GM, Mike Smith. Quickly afterwards, after one game in the minors, you and Scotty Bowman went to see Draper play and Draper said he scored three goals, but Bowman asked him, do you know how many face-offs you won? Draper didn't know, he said, but Scotty said, you won 19 of 21. Can you do that in the NHL? Now, how has Draper's, Draper's on-ice career, four Stanley Cups, 222 playoff games, ranked ninth all-time, 26 more playoff games than Iserman, how has that helped his off-ice career? Because, Doug, he's now in year five. First year as assistant GM too, and he's drafted Raymond, Edvinson, Casper, and Danielson. But he'll always be compared to Al Murray, who helped Eiserman build those cup-winning teams, 10 draft picks on each of those winning teams in 2020 and 2021. You know Draper's family, his dad, his uncle Dave helped build those Colorado Cup-winning teams. How has Chris Draper done in Detroit? Well, 
You know what? I, I it's funny. I got lucky on that deal, and I, as I put in the book, Jimmy Clark, my my uh, part time scout in uh, when we were with Detroit, it was a guy that mentioned Drapes to me, and Draper was so good. Him, actually, I signed he and Timmy Taylor that summer and mm-hmm. traded for Draper, and we signed Timmy, and both of them had had really amazing careers. But Draper to me, um, I, I see GM written all over him. I, I and I don't mean his. Maybe not about his drafting skills. I think he's done a good job with the draft. And that's the draft. Listen, if you're 15% in the draft, mm-hmm. if you're 15% successful in the draft, you've had a good draft. That's how tough it is. So I see Drapes right now as a real potential top GM candidate in the next year or two. I really do. He's got personality. He's He's got the the playing background. He's got the scouting background. He's been working with Stevie. Uh, to me, he'll be a sought-after guy shortly, he, in my opinion. Doug, in Chapter 7 called Scouts and the Draft List, you start the chapter with a story about Eisman and Al Murray. In 2012, they went to a playoff game in Moose Jaw, my hometown. Moose Jaw is less than an hour away from Murray's home base in Regina. They went to see Morgan Riley, yeah. but I – Eiserman was impressed with a 16-year-old Braden Point, still two years away from his draft eligibility. Two years later, Eiserman moved up in the draft in the third round to take Point, and the rest is history. 24 goals on those back-to-back championships on teams that featured later draft picks like Kucherov, Sorelli, Kalorn, and Pilat. You said scouting is the lifeblood of a successful team, an inexact science. Steve Eiserman says if you get two players per draft, you're doing well. Finding yeah. players with skills and attitude, hockey sense to common sense. Why, though, has Eisenman been so successful scouting, Doug? How much time do you think he'd like to be scouting? And will this Eisenman-Draper combination work maybe for a few more years, perhaps before Draper moves on? In Tampa Bay, Julian Brisebois, he moved Al Murray up to assistant GM to keep him here. What are your thoughts about that combination? Well, look, I, I think Stevie... You know, Stevie did it the right way in Tampa. Uh, yeah, he he had a pretty good head start there with Stamkos and Hedman. You know, mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Al Murray did a magnificent job for him, an unbelievable job for him, finding late picks, free agent juniors. They they really did it the right way. Al Murray, that that point, uh, I, it it jumped out at me as one of the great trades of of, a, of draft history because he's a franchise player. Mm-hmm. Um, was it skill? Was it luck? Was it a combination of two? Probably a combination of the two. But I think I think Detroit's doing it the right way. Stevie is a patient guy. He's a perfectionist. He was a perfectionist as a player. He's a perfectionist as a GM. You know, with his credibility from the Red Wings, he knows he's got time to do it right. Mm-hmm. Lots of guys get GM's jobs and they don't have time, you know? It's a it's a dog fight, but Stevie has got time on his hands, and he's got a, the luxury of doing it right. And I think they will. I think they're going to have success. And will they make the playoffs this year? I think they're going to be really close. But next year will be a big year for the Red Wings in the uh, in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion. And finally, Doug, you just mentioned the season. It gets underway for the Red Wings Thursday in New Jersey. We've talked about all the success in the past. As your book notes, between 1942 and the start of the current NHL draft in 1963, the Wings, with that close proximity to the Canadian border and access 
to player recruitment, won five cups. The Leafs and Canadians won eight cups each back in the original six. And of course, Detroit's done well too. You were part of that run, 25 straight playoff seasons. They won four more cups, but they're in that seven-year playoff drought, tying the longest stretch without playoff hockey in Detroit. You said they may not make it either. And this year, Elliot Freeman just said on 32 thoughts, he doesn't think the Wings have much of a chance this year, that they're not as good as even Buffalo and Ottawa. Those are the two teams Eisman says he measures his team against. How would you rank those three teams then, Doug? Detroit, Buffalo, and Ottawa down the road. That's a really tough one. I Look, uh, Ottawa, getting a, getting Brady Kachuk, like Montreal taking Co- Kokaniemi and not taking Brady Kachuk in that draft mm-hmm. is, to me, it's like, it, it's devastating. But you know what? It, it happened to me in the draft, the Brule Kopitar, although Kopitar went 11th uh, after I didn't take him at six. But I've been ripped for five, seven, ten years <laughs> over that one. Jesus. But anyway, I look, I would say Ottawa today to me is the front runner. I would say they're the front runner right now of those three teams. They've mm-hmm. had a little longer run. They've had high picks. I got Detroit and Buffalo nose to nose. I really do. I and mean, I know Rasmus Dahlin has come on. The, you know, the big score up front has helped them. I, you know what? I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet who's going to have more points this year between Buffalo and Detroit. I think it's, it's a toss up. I really do. Doug, thanks again for your time today, talking to us about your book draft day, how hockey teams pick winners or get left behind. Appreciate your help in the past and yeah. take care. Safe travels back you know to what? Florida. I'm blown away. You know, the book better than I do. And I wrote it. <laughs> You're very kind. It's it, it is really well. We, we mentioned beforehand, Scott Morrison, one, a hall of fame editor, a previous yeah. guest. They yeah. really, I, like you said, he, he did a lot of work. Like that one time you told me you sent the first six chapters yeah. or so, and there were no returns. <laughs> like it wasn't formatted. So like, that's no, amazing he, that Scott was Scott, able to put everything together. So we yeah, certainly did need to yeah, mention him. Deserves a lot of credit. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Doug. Take care. Bye now. Okay, bud. Our thanks again to Doug McClain. Time now, Ted, for your annual predictions at DetroitNews.com. You've got the Oilers winning the cup over the Devils, who you'll see Thursday night in New Jersey. The Oilers are a popular pick of the 16 staff writers for NHL.com. Three picked the Oilers and four took the Stars. Four Pick the Hurricanes, your playoff teams in the West and the Pacific, Oilers, Vegas, Los Angeles, and Seattle as the wild card in the Central Division, Dallas, Colorado, Minnesota, and Nashville as the wild card. In the West Final, Edmonton over Dallas. Over in the East in the Atlantic, you've got Toronto, Boston, Florida, no Tampa Bay. In the Metro Division, Carolina, New Jersey, Pittsburgh. You mentioned the two wild cards, Rangers and the Islanders. No Buffalo, Ottawa, or Detroit there. And in the East Final, New Jersey over Boston. In the Cup Final, the Oilers, who have lost in the Final Four to the eventual Cup champs for two straight years. The Avalanche two years ago, the Golden Knights last year. They'll beat the Devils and Kenny Holland. Mark, give me Mark, give me your picks. I mean, just not, not as many as you want. I mean, give me some of your picks for this year. I'm kind of curious myself. Well, Ted, certainly those three teams that the NHL.com mentioned: the Stars, the Oilers, the Avalanche. But you know what? I look back at the last five years, Ted, at the teams that have won the Cup. So. Lalonde's teams in Tampa Bay with that big defense go back to 2019 
and the blues with Pareko and Peter Angelo and Bo Meester. And then Peter Angelo last year with that big defense with Haig and McNabb and Martinez. And they're so talented. So I think right there, you've almost eliminated a lot of teams. I think Carolina would be in there as well. I know you like them as well. Right. So I think maybe Ted, any of those five or six teams, I think the Oilers are an excellent choice. They've come close. They're a little bit bigger and stronger on defense. And I think a lot of teams will make some moves at the trade sure, deadline. Sure. And that could be the difference. Sometimes, like, for example, the Avalanche wouldn't have won the cup if they didn't pick up, in my opinion, Manson on defense. He played a lot. He was their big hitter. They needed a big defenseman to uh, support McCarr, another defenseman on that team. So I'm pretty much along your lines too, Ted, the teams you pick, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think you may have watched uh, the Golden Knights last night. They sure looked good last night. I usually just pick the defending champions. Who do you like in the East then, at least? In the East, from the Atlantic, Toronto, that would be a long shot. Right now, their defense, there's no chance of them, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, getting to the final and winning the cup with that defense. You've got Boston, Florida. I can't see any of those teams winning. Carolina, absolutely. They're just a step away. They have a big defense. I like your pick of New Jersey. They were 7-0 and in the preseason. Pittsburgh, you picked them last year, Ted. And even though they gave up a two-goal lead last night, that team can score goals and get hot. And then you've got the Rangers and Islanders and those teams – you just I have a lot never... of respect for the Islanders. They just seem to find a way every year, and they may arguably may have the best goalie, so it's they're going to be tough. I will tell you one thing. I mean, watching Tampa a little bit last night, well, I don't know. I, I didn't – I thought – you know, I still think it's going to be a tough row in a way for them because of the injury to Vasilevsky and mm-hmm. just the the people they've lost, but – Boy, they seem to find a way also. They really do. So we'll, we shall see. It should be a very intriguing, interesting season, I think. And finally, Ted, on DetroitNews.com today, you predict the four major trophy winners. You just mentioned the goaltenders, the Vesna, Sorokin, Shesterkin, and Ottinger. The Hart Trophy in the order of finish, McDavid, Hughes, McKinnon, the Norris, Haskinen, Makar, Dahlin, the Calder, Bedard, Cooley, and Fantilli. The Red Wings don't really have any candidates there. In fact, if you go to NHL.com and look at their fantasy hockey ratings, the top 250 players in the league, the Wings don't have a player in the top 60. Cider is ranked 66, Larkin 67, Brink at 71, Raymond 171, Huso 182, Perron 214, Petrie 247. Now, of those seven players, Cider could get a few votes for the Norris for the first time in three years. The first year when he won the Calder, 15 defensemen got at least a vote. Last year was 18 defensemen. He's certainly among the top 20 defensemen in the league. And this year in the preseason, Ted, he was shooting more. He had two goals, and his 13 shots were tied for the team lead with Debrink at Sprong. And Edmondson. And if you look at his first two years, so he's averaged 23 minutes a game, 46 points, only three power play goals in two years. He's minus 20 facing the other team's best players. That's understandable. He's never missed a game. His 207 hits last year tied a franchise record set by Justin Abdelkader in 2015. And his 190 block shots were the most in team history. So, Ted, if Cider gets top 10 consideration for the Norris Trophy this year, 
and he'll be in for a big raise, probably more than Dylan Larkin's $8.7 million. Can you see the wings getting closer and closer to that playoff cut line? Sure. I think he's a big factor, but I think that how that Larkin to Brincat line or whatever you want to call it, combo chemist, mm-hmm. whatever, whether they get gain the chemistry, if they really flourish, I think that's even a bigger yeah. goal than Cider. I think Cider is going to be fine. He's going to move along, but they really need Link Larkin to bring Cat. To, they really need to bring Cat to become that forty goal guy and Larkin to flourish even further. I think if that happens, I think that might help them gain, get closer to the playoffs. Uh, I, I I agree. I think Cider will get some. As long as he's healthy, he'll get some Norris votes this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of contract he gets. I mean, you saw Rasmus Delini the other day, the $11 million a year. Where does Cider fall in that? That'll be interesting <laughs> to watch down the line. Ted, thanks again for your uh, time today on episode 94 of our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can find all of Ted's stories online at DetroitNews.com, as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page. Thanks again for listening, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.